Yo, yo, welcome back to Unbuckle Chin Strap. This week we have on Joe Nardella, face-off specialist for the Whip Snakes Lacrosse Club. He's my former captain and the first player in college to show me what true hard work was all about. Coming off what I felt was the MVP of the season. He's not just a Fogo. He can play offense. He's scrappy. He's athletic. Let's jump into it with the game's top face-off guy, Joe Nardella. Nards, what's shaking, baby? Not a whole lot. Just uh, staying busy in the world, the crazy world we live in today. How about yourself? I'm just chilling, man. I'm out in San Diego. Um, you know, just getting my day going. Are you in uh, Boston right now? Yes, I am. I'm actually up on the North Shore today. Um, checking out a buddy spot after doing a few work-related things up, up on the water. It's pretty sweet up here. And we got a beautiful December day. Not quite San Diego-like, but... Um, for Massachusetts, we'll take it if it's high 40s in December. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's jump right into it. Uh, Nards, back-to-back championships. Um, you know, for you as a face-off guy, you know, being the only one to win a championship so far in this league, do you consider yourself now to be the best in the game? Um, I mean, I think that's obviously like an objective question when you determine who's the best. I guess statistically over the two seasons, um, I do have the highest percentage between both seasons like aggregate. So it'd be hard to argue the opposite. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that's a tough question. I don't like to talk about myself in that sense, but stats would indicate through two seasons. Yeah, I've been probably at the top of my game that personally, and that's what I try to compare it to. Um, these are two of the best back-to-back years going like 55 plus and then 70 percent um, over the course of two seasons to bring me to 60 percent plus I think maybe 60 and some change um, that's pretty good like that's where you want to be at and professionally up until these past two years I've never been a 60 percent guy and I think it's pretty rare to see that Trevor did it uh, in the first year of the PLL and he had a pretty special season <clears throat> what do you think changed for you um, kind of becoming more of that 60% level? I think a lot of it had to do with how I was training, who I trained with, um, and really just my habits, sleeping, eating well, prioritizing, you know, taking care of my body and making sure that I'm hitting something recovery-wise every single day, having a Normatec in my house, and then having more time during quarantine to actually focus in on completely preparing for the PLL season, which was a pretty unique one at that with it being only three short weeks. We're preparing for a pretty tough grind. So me spending some extra time preparation wise, whether it be what I was doing at this gym called compete sports in Massachusetts, crazy spot. They do an awesome job. And then getting to train with guys like Drew Semino and TD Erland back home when I was spending time at my parents' house in Cuse and then, Max Adler and Noah Rack while I was in Boston, like doing that every other weekend gave me a ton of different looks and top end guys to kind of just really measure my myself against all the time. So you think because of quarantine, you were able to kind of gain a competitive edge as opposed to if we were going into a regular season? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know everybody probably had a little bit more time on their hands. So I would say that time could have been used for other people to do the exact same thing. But I think for me in lacrosse, you know, shifting things to the virtual coaching without being able to do stuff in person 
gave me a different perspective on things. And like, you know, we used to work with uh, Dr. Wally at Rutgers and that's something I started to include into like my program. And I was doing the class with the kids. And I think mental game wise, that's like the sharpest I've ever been in the most confident in like my process preparation and perspective, um, which has really helped me be a better athlete and lacrosse player. What are some of the things that, uh, you kind of take away from those sessions with Wally. I know at Rutgers, we did a bunch of stuff and I, I took a lot away, but took a lot away from it. Um, even that I use now in my career, but what are some of those specific things that he kind of speaks to your guys about that are, that have been able to kind of elevate you? And this is a good question. Like I'd be interested to hear what you have to say on this topic. Cause I think everybody draws something different from anything where you're supposed to be like introspective about like, and you kind of, they don't tell you what to do. They tell you how to start to think about, what you should be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, my expectations were definitely different, right? You want to expect to be confident, prepare to be confident, but expect that things aren't going to go your way all the time. And I think in the past, that's something I've let negatively affect my play, whether it be one face-off <clears throat> or a whole quarter of face-offs. If things aren't going my way, I've let it bleed into other plays when in reality it's all independent. So I think having like a really just a singular focus on a few things that helps set me up for success through trial and error and practice, like those two things in itself elevated my game immensely. And then three is just how to be a better teammate and understand what other people are thinking too, right? Because that's essentially what he does is he's, you know, the captain of this ship or this group that's all trying to learn together. And he identifies problems that other people may be having and he helps like target, isolate and solve. And I think not that I'm like giving mental advice to guys in the whip snakes, but I think at times where I felt like I could insert myself because of what I understood other people were feeling, I was able to as a leader. And obviously we have a special group where anyone can kind of speak up and do that. You've been a part of it. So, you know, Um, but I think that's something, you know, in the championship when we were down, that really helped. Yeah, the uh, the biggest thing I know for me with Wally and similar to you, like taking away the things he's, he's teaching us and then being able to apply those to not only the people that you're coaching, but also the people that you're playing with, because it's just information that once you gain it, it's like there's no turning back. It's it's stuff that you can, you know, that can really define whether or not you're going to be able to win games, because when it is crunch time and you need guys to be playing at their best, sometimes it's just that those one or two things you could hear from a guy like you. You know, if I just got stripped by, you know, if I'm going against one of the best player defensemen in the league and you, we needed a big goal out of me and I just got stripped by him the play before, but, you know, the next play is coming up. If you get in my ear and can kind of give me that little tidbit of advice, sometimes that's all you need to kind of make that next play. Um, and I think for me with Wally, the biggest thing that I learned was to be like less harsh on myself um, and how to kind of smell the roses a little bit. I had trouble with that in college, kind of beating myself up. And thinking if I wasn't the player that I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be one of the best players at Rutgers. I wanted to be one of the best players in the country. If I wasn't at that point yet, then when I was like not performing to that level, then I would be really hard on myself and be my biggest critic, which would then pull my game down. So it's that fine line of being a critic and having that ability to take a step back and evaluate, but also being confident and being positive with yourself and what you're telling yourself in the story um, so that you can continue to execute at a high level. It's wild you say that because I think one of the biggest takeaways I have is you could either be your own best friend or your own worst enemy, right? And you just talked about it. 
And I think even though sometimes you don't, you hate yourself and don't want to be your best friend for what you just did the last play, similar to a coach, you have to think about that guy who would put his arm around you and be like, listen, buddy, you're going to get another shot at this. It's not one play that ever defines you in a game. It's the body of work. So that's cool that you say that. And like another thing that I think you're kind of alluding to is like the, the grass is green where you water it, right? So the thoughts that you continue to think, like that's what's going to transpire in your play. And maybe it's not exactly as you expect, um, but I think having that perspective of like you have to feed into the positivity and that'll definitely help you versus feeding into the negativity. That's something like any young player should try to take away if they're listening to this talk, you know, because you and I both have not been the best at that. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I, we'll, we'll get into a little bit about our relationship yeah. and Obviously, you you were my captain uh, at Rutgers, um, but coming into 2019, yeah, 2019 season, two years ago now, with Stags, right? I didn't realize this, but Stags recruited you um, at Rutgers, and what was that like for you? Kind of being one of the only Rutgers guys in the Whip Snakes, but also having that, you know, kind of preemptive relationship with Coach Stags. I think that you know, Coach Stags is from upstate New York, so I think he inherently likes upstate New York guys and likes that I'm, you know, an old school type of like two-handed ground ball, tough type of player um, who prides himself on trying to be versatile. So that's why he ended up recruiting me. And it's funny because Staggs recruited me super early in my junior year. Um, and then the Rutgers had filled up their class and I wasn't ready to make a decision. Like, you know, within the first month, I had just started playing club like two months ago. I had no idea what was going on. And then somebody had dropped from the class. And at the very last tournament, um, I actually reached back out to him. And that's when he offered me the spot and some scholarship money. And, like, you know, even when he left, he made sure that, like, our agreement was taken care of. Um, Coach Brecht, like, he did right by me. And then, as you know, he's, like, been tough on me sometimes when I haven't done my best or haven't prepared my best and played my best. But I think that's helped make our relationship stronger. And obviously <laughs> winning some key draws like in that first season and overtime and at the end of games and like being my best in the fourth quarter, even if I like stunk that day, I've, I think we've developed a sense of trust where like him and I have become super close and bounce ideas off each other. And I look up to him as a mentor, both coaching lacrosse wise and business wise. I think he's a super sharp mind in the lacrosse business world. So he's somebody that I really respect and look up to, but he's not always the easiest to, uh, to deal with as people know, you know, like him and Matt go at it. Like I'm lucky him and I have a great relationship and he lets me do my thing face off wise, but like he holds us all accountable. Yeah. I think that's something that he definitely does at a very high level is, is manage his players. Um, and I think that that's something as a pro coach, could be potentially the most important thing because you're dealing with so many different guys and dynamics, um, especially with our team. Um, we're not with, when I was on the team with you, with the Whipsnakes, excuse me, um, you know, we were the only two Rutgers guys. Now you're the only Rutgers guys. That's, it's different, only Rutgers guy left. It's different to, you know, kind of talk to you and communicate with you than it is to maybe communicate with Rambo, um, who he's coached in the past um, on, on Charlotte and stuff. So it's definitely an interesting dynamic. Do you think that, Stags, um, you know, is he the best coach in the league based off, um, you know, his track record with you guys or, or kind of how do you, how do you, how do you think he kind of compares to the rest of the guys? 
Yeah, it's similar to me. Like, I don't think Coach Staggs would ever sit here and say <clears throat> he's the best coach by any stretch. But I think it's hard to argue with the the stats and the body of work that we've seen. Like, he's done the best job managing late game situations out of any coach and managing the emotions of this team. So I would 100% say right now, like, there's no possible way you could dispute that with any evidence. <clears throat> I'll give my man Coach Staggs some, some props right now. He's done a great job. It's an underrated thing, the end of the game, um, and especially at our level where these games are so tight. It's like it comes down to those one or two or three plays that kind of just flip this, the script and, and kind of lead to the victories. I mean, we saw that when we played you guys again this year, the Redwoods coming down to that last play, and that's really the, you know, the difference between winning a championship and not winning a championship. Yeah, and I think he's somebody – who has continued to grow and evolve himself. And that's something you and I have like always talked about and invested our thoughts into and our actions into. And Coach Staggs like pushes the envelope forward always, like mentoring companies, right? Coaching, running events. And I think this year, like he definitely took a step forward as a coach, being more relaxed when stuff wasn't going our way than, you know, he would admit that he ever has in the past. Like he always jokes about how crazy he says he was in college and like sometimes guys on our team don't believe him because like you know we're down six two and nothing's going our way like he didn't freak out he was like the calming presence that got us all to realize like yo we're right in this game with one or two plays yeah sometimes like we said that that's all you need is that calming presence and that reassurance for confidence mm -hmm. and do you think you know looking back at your Rutgers career a little bit now you know, fast forward to the player you are today, which is obviously one of the best, if not the best in the game, in my opinion, um, at, w at what you do. Do you think that playing at Rutgers kind of caused people to not consider you or, or consider the value that you actually brought to the table? Because I know that you bring this level of player since I've known you um, since the day I stepped onto Rutgers campus. Yeah, absolutely. I think people have viewed me just as they viewed Rutgers lacrosse at the college level, right? When I was there, we didn't win a ton of games. We had one winning season out of my four. And then your sophomore year, you guys started to take the jump and people started to take, you know, Rutgers and maybe me a little bit more serious. Now that Rutgers is consistently competing on the Big Ten and national level and getting big wins each year, they were ranked number one at one point a few years ago. Like people are starting to, kids are starting to, parents, coaches, other guys in the PLL are starting to take Rutgers serious. And I think everything that I see with the new facilities, the recruits they're getting, like it's trending in the right direction. I'm excited and hopeful that they will play to see how they do this year because it's it's always one of my favorite things to do is watch those games on Saturday. Yeah, I've been missing missing the games at Rutgers and going back there for the, uh, the alumni stuff. So hopefully we get that back going this year. Yeah, my favorite game might not be the one that I planned it. It might have been the first year out of graduation when you guys beat Penn State on Sunday night. You went off a little bit, um, but, like, I remember just how many people were there, like, electric environment, a bunch of our friends were there watching the game. Like, that's the best. That's what college across is all about, and that's what makes it special. Yeah, that's my favorite game of college across, definitely, um, of my four years. Do you think – Is that the game you had, the one-handed yeah. pick? <laughs> If anyone's listening, they got to catch that highlight. So I don't know where they can find it, but Jules intercepted a pass like out of nowhere, coming from behind the net, scoop and score. That it was, was it's on YouTube. Um, if you want to check it out, do you think? Uh, well, what do you think mentally 
that that's done for you? Um, has it given you a competitive edge? Has it made you, you know, sort of resent um, people in lacrosse? Like what, what is that kind of not having the value of the player you actually are um, kind of contributed to your success? Yeah, I try not to let like resent or hate creep in because like in no way, shape or form is that ever productive um, in any stretch, lacrosse-wise, life-wise, whatever. But I do think it has pissed me off, right? And, you know, anger is fuel, right? Being mad is fuel. And I think that's something that's helped me train and stay super motivated is that like not only do people not respect like to a sense, I, I'm hoping it's better now. Rutgers lacrosse and where you and I may have come from in comparison to some of these other blue blood traditional programs like a lot of the pros are from, right? Similar to the guys you and I both play with on our respective teams. We're like one or two college, very heavy. Um, but I think using disappointment, people not expecting what you expect of yourself, like all of that is fuel is awesome, right? It's free energy to just throw into your fire and chase after to try to prove people wrong. And that's something that fires me up and gets me going. And it's a little different from everybody, but I think that's like what transpires for me hearing that or thinking that at all times. Yeah. That's something that I definitely picked up from you right away when I first met you was kind of just like your attitude um, towards your work ethic, um, your leadership and your consistency as a player, and then kind of your attitude just, you know, the kind of the fuck you, like, I know that, um, I'm working my ass off. I work harder than you. I am, I, I invest more into my craft than you. And I'm going to showcase that no matter who I'm playing against. Um, and you know, for those people who don't know, Nards was my captain, um, at Rutgers and Nards talk to us a little bit about the first time, you know, we met and kind of how, uh, how it was as he was my host, um, for recruiting at Rutgers. Yeah, so I was a senior. Jules is coming on as an official visit. Coach calls me into his office like Friday after practice. I'm like, uh, nobody's gotten in trouble. Like, everything should be good going into this meeting. He's like, hey, we have recruits here tonight. Like, uh, we have, you know, our best attack recruit coming in. He's going to be staying with you. I want you to make sure he's taken care of. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll make sure Jules is taken care of. And obviously, like, Coach Breck runs a pretty tight ship. So I'm walking out of there like, what do, I'm going to feel this kid out, see what's up. And, you know, maybe we could do something. It was a weekend night. So we didn't like, you know, bounce around have a little bit of fun, introduce Jules to some people, maybe a couple girls. I know <laughs> Jules likes to get involved, <laughs> involved on that front. Um, but yeah, Jules actually slept over. I made sure he was tucked in. He was hydrated. He was feeling good. He went in, he crushed his meeting the next day with the coaches and, from that point forward, we were kind of had this little bond. And I just like remember Jules being similar to me in the sense that people thought he like had a little bit of an edge, which, you know, when you talk to him and actually have a conversation, you don't. But because of the way you play and like carry yourself and like compete, people are like, damn, this kid plays like he's pissed off. And I always liked that about you. And when it was like, you know, early in the morning or after practice, Jules was one of the only freshmen who'd be down in the tunnel, like where it's dark under the football console, banging the wall with Scott Bita and I, who was another great leader. He was a junior captain on that team. Um, and that's kind of like where you and I started to realize like we're on the same page about getting after it and doing more than other people may be willing to. Definitely. I think um, that's a huge thing that players should realize is like, there's always going to be guys um, before you, right. That are older that you can look up to and kind of latch onto a little bit and, that was for me what you were when I was a freshman. 
just because I knew, right, the kind of your history at Rutgers so far and the level of play you were. But then when I got there, I was like, okay, he's doing all the right things. He's investing, like I said, into, into his game off the field. And I was like, okay, if I want to be, you know, a certain level of player, I have to follow Joe Nardella. Like he is the pinnacle um, of Rutgers. So it was easy and a no-brainer for me to kind of think about it like that. And then on the flip side, you know, you being from upstate, our dads, and we'll talk a little bit about this being similar in terms of their mindset. You know, I felt comfortable being like, all right, like he sees me for not, you know, this, I felt like some other guys saw me, like you're saying, is this like cocky kid or whatever they might've seen, but you saw that I was just determined and wanted to make an impact on the team and do whatever I could um, to, to really make sure I could be the best version of myself. Um, but dude, the, that day going into Breck's office, I was shitting my pants because I was so scared that he was going to be like something happening or like <laughs> whatever. And like in that meeting, I remember it was me and Christian Scarpello and I was just sitting there just like, I hope this guy doesn't think that I'm just this like fucking shithead recruit. And I hope that Nards gives, gives me a good review. Um, and I ended, I ended up working out fine. I think. He, he didn't care. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's funny. Pete, you say you're like, you know, all nervous. Jules is really nervous. He probably asked like <laughs> 10 times, like, yo, am I going to be good? Like, what I, I was like, dude, yes, you're good. Be yourself. He likes you. You're coming to school here. Just totally be cool. You did nothing wrong. Like, you're a good guy. And now thinking about it, it's probably pretty funny to think about like Christian Scarpello. Like he probably thought you were the golden child compared to him. Like you had nothing to worry about being in the same room as that. Yeah. Guy. It, it's crazy. Your perception, like when you look back on it, it's so crazy. Um, Cause in the moment it's like, yeah. I'm like, and I'm, when I'm an older guy on the team, I bring recruits in. I'm just like, dude, relax. Like it's, it's going to be fine. Like you got to trust. <laughs> um, now I know we talk a lot about, a lot about your work ethic um, your character and, and how, you know, you really invest into yourself as a, both a person, a player and an entrepreneur, you know, can you talk a little bit about where that came from? You know, your dad growing up um, in New York, your guys, you know, compound that you have and the, and the crazy stuff that you have going on uh, out in Casanova. Yeah. So I, I'm lucky. Like I grew up in a household where we had a bunch of land, we could mess around. Um, <clears throat> and my dad like eventually had put in like, you know, small weights and then a Versa climber and then a gym. But he's a he was a wrestler so i grew up in like a wrestling discipline household you had to do push-ups every day once we were in middle school and pull-ups and you know any punishment was like physical activity or chores um but i think like from you know chopping trees down and splitting wood every sunday and like two foot snow with my brother like grown up to doing some of those workouts or push-ups like all of that stuff taught me so much discipline and just like so much accountability to the point where like I never wanted to be held in check by somebody else. Like what's the point of that? If you just can't do what's expected of you, like all that stuff was meant to make me better. And if you fight it, it becomes unenjoyable. If you embrace it and find a way to like, like enjoy the struggle, enjoy the progress. Um, none of that stuff really became hard. And I think that just allowed like a, a humble, hardworking work ethic in me that I've tried to carry in everything I do, whether it be school, you know, playing lacrosse in college, playing as a professional, trying to build my own business in the lacrosse space, and now like totally going off script and jumping into real estate. Like, I think all of those things just have a ton of overlap and like also can be used as great teaching tools for all these younger kids that I, I am so lucky to get to impact. So I think a lot of that just stems from learning to hold myself accountable and just constantly be on like a progression forward. Was there a defining moment 
um, or kind of, you know, situation with your dad where, you know, you're, you're really like, all right, like this is, you know, what I really want to do. And he's showing, showcasing to me what it's going to take. Um, cause I know you obviously had a lot of experiences with him over the years, um, kind of growing up. Yeah. I don't know if like, I would say there's maybe a defining moment. I think if I look back at like some of my athletic moments in my career that he was there, like my, our first ever championship I won was like squirt major hockey with our town team. We won the New York state championship and double overtime. And like the other team had a two on O they missed. I got a lucky bounce with the puck ended up getting a, like a one-on-one with the goalie and putting it away. Like that's when I knew like I wanted to be the best when I was competing at all times. Like that feeling of winning my first championship with friends who you like go to war with, even though we were young, like we were at, like we were at each other's throats every weekend playing street hockey, shooting lacrosse balls at each other in the yard. Like I had a great group of friends in a little tight knit town. And once we got a taste of what winning was like, um, which none of that, like my dad had us doing like sandbag off ice training. We were like little kids, like resistance stuff. And like other parents, like what's wrong with this guy? But like some of that stuff helped, helped us be successful at a young age. Like I saw, you know, immediate dividends. And this, you know, as a coach, the hardest thing is like continuing to get people to work hard when they don't see any progress. So I think having like a jump or like a championship at like a young age really helped me ingrain like I want to be like that greatness desire. Like I had that young and I think he did a great job of instilling that and like me and my brother in creating a competitive environment, like making me go to wrestling tournaments. Like when I've never wrestled before, like, dumb stuff like that like you look back on and laugh but it definitely helped what is the craziest thing he ever made you guys do you and your brother on the uh on the property it actually wasn't me and my brother um there's two things one was we had like this little atv like kawasaki like mule for bringing wood back that he like cut down to make these trails and me and my buddy ben romanoli we're like driving around we're like 12 and it was all muddy and wet and I got it stuck and he like didn't lift a finger. He like told us how to get it out, but it took us like four hours to dig this thing out of the mud. Like I thought I had frostbite. It was freezing cold, like the worst upstate winter weather you could ever imagine. And like I had to use two winches and like get it to the tree and like it was nuts. Um, but that was probably number one. And the number two, the biggest lesson I ever learned is my brother was lawn mowing. And I had like a long pole and I was like whizzing apples at him that grow up by our house. And he like said something to my dad. He's like, he's going to hit me with one of these and it's going to really hurt. My dad's like, stop doing it. And of course, like I'm still messing around sidearm, like whipping apples at my brother. And I, it couldn't have been any more perfect. He like turned left towards our driveway and I like threw it behind him on purpose because I thought he was driving to the mm -hmm. right like just to mess with them. And he turned right into it and it hit him in the eye, like a, a zinger. And he's holding his eye. Like, I can't see. I can't see. And my dad, let's just say, but that was like the worst, the worst thing I probably ever did and had to pay for. So like those two moments are probably the craziest ones that ever happened up there. Did your dad, uh, he put a, a beat on you or did your brother try to fight you? Yeah, he he never like had to throw punches because of the wrestling stuff. He could just like torture you and put you in spots that were like super uncomfortable. Dude, 
So it's not like I got like beat up, but I just got like I had to feel the pain. Nards, do you remember when I was a junior? Do you remember? Yeah, it was junior. my junior year. It might have been my senior year. I came to Rutgers and I visited um, a game to like watch. I was in the stands, and your dad took me through this like crazy thing, uh, this stretch thing. He, I was sitting in the stands next to him. He's like, he's like, oh, who are you? And I'm like, yeah, like my name's Jules. Like he's got he's got no idea. I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a recruit. I'm committed here. And I was like, yeah, like I'm coming to play attack. Like I really want to play it, you know, the highest level and make an impact here. He's like, if you want to make an impact here, you know what you got to do? He's like, you got to stretch. He's like, this is the number one thing you got to focus on. Takes me out from where we were sitting at Rutgers around the corner, like up the bend <laughs> behind in the stadium and starts stretching me out for like 30 minutes, just putting me through these crazy ass stretches. And I was just like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, and like, what is going on? And then that was like the start of our relationship. But Looking back on it, that was I would ne- well, never forget that. But it just it made me think about how much he cared about the, the little things, um, and how much he reminded me of my dad. Where it was like I was like, okay, well, if this is Nard's dad, then I know where Nard, what Nard's kind of headspace is going to be like. And it kind of was just like a cool, uh, a cool moment to look back on with with him. Yeah, absolutely. He he wanted the best for Rutgers lacrosse. That's for yeah. sure. I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, kind of the the fold on how, how it kind of played out um, to now we're, we're playing together. And like that, I think I was like, um, or not playing together, playing at the highest level and kind of going from me being a junior and then being like, who, who the hell is this guy and his dad? And then being like, Oh wow, that's Nards. And then, you know, six or seven years later we're here. Um, but we were playing together on the whips. Yeah. We're about to play together again. And, uh, yeah. No, yeah, we're, we're about, about to. to. Oh, hopefully hopefully that pans out. Um, and then I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, Team USA training team, right? Yeah, the the Team USA stuff. I, again, another another situation where I don't know what, you know, when we're going to be able to get back to that. What's yeah, what's next? next? But, but yeah. I know, yeah, for box, we're looking to play in New England together, which would be pretty dope. And I know our dads would be fired up about that because they'd be in the stands together, just uh, going ballistic. Um, yeah. But we did play. Together. I think those two at Mohegan Sun might be trouble. <laughs> That's dude, definitely trouble. I don't know if uh, if they're going to be able to handle that. Um, but we played together for a, a brief stint professionally with the Whip Snakes. I was on, on the team for a couple games. Um, and then when I got out of there, obviously, you know, you started to build more chemistry with those guys. Um, and heading into this year, you know, what was it like kind of establishing that foundation um, and, and kind of going into to this season, knowing that you're now really, you know, part of the team um, and, and a real asset that those guys could count on? Yeah, I think – as everybody did, like even, you know, the Maryland guys, everybody tried in all teams, everyone tried to find their role in the first season of PLL and get comfortable. And like, you know, it, it showcased in a lot of like the first five games, I would say teams were up and down. Scores may have been more sporadic, right? Guys, productivity, not as consistent as maybe in years past um, or in college. So I think there was a feeling out process for everybody, but this year following like you know, a strong close to last season, I felt like everyone kind of came in knowing what their role was, you know, and knowing your role on the field is easier than knowing like where you stand in the locker room. You know what I mean? But knowing where like you fit into the group definitely plays a factor in your confidence on the field. And fortunately for us, you know, we didn't have a lot of new guys, right? Like Isaac Paparo played some games last year, not really new. Um, you know, Sieverts had been in the lineup last year, not really new. Brett, not really, like, not new at all. 
Um, it was really just Camizio, Brad Smith, Zed, and I'm trying to think if there's anybody else, maybe Tuttle. Other than that, like no new pieces on defense. You know, TJ was he did a great job with Ty and Jake, but like Jake's a coach. Like Jake helped them come along super quickly. And I think Brad Smith could probably play on any team and be pretty productive. So we got super lucky in that sense that we had a lot of camaraderie and a lot of consistency back. When you talk about building camaraderie, I know you guys have been playing Bure for a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about what Bure is? Um, who the biggest winner is and who has had the worst boo in the 2020 championship series. All right. So this is where I give my boy Drew Snyder the shout out. Drew Snyder brought Boo Ray to the team. Um, Drew grew up with a friend of his who played in the NBA for maybe 10 seasons or so. And so this is a game that we learned from, you know, the NBA guys. And I heard about the game. I didn't know the name. If you go on like action network and type in Gilbert arenas, Boo Ray, this is what led to like, him bringing a gun into the locker room because he like intentionally booed and the money that he lost set up like this rookie to lose more money, which like wasn't cool. And they're both very upset about it. Rightfully so. So the game, um, I think you guys can all look it up. Basically there's everybody's dealt five cards. If you don't like them, you could fold or exchange them. Once you're in, you're in. If you break a rule, or play out a turn or do anything that affects the integrity of the game, that's called a boo. And if you win zero out of the five hands, that's called a boo. And when you boo, you have to match the pot. So, you know, we started 25 cents when we're playing. You think it's going to be all fun and games. Next thing you know, at the championship series, we have a hand that's two or $300 because guys are ordering Shake Shack <laughs> and not paying attention or talking or playing music. And so it gets up to like 200 bucks and somebody boos, right? So now the pot's at like four or $500 because things have escalated. Nobody's won the hand. And so there's a hand where it's two of the players fold. It's me, Joe Lacasio, Rambo, and Ty Warner. And the pot is at $600. And somehow I get the best cards, right? The dealer flips one of their five without looking and establishes the Trump suit. And so I had like four Trump cards, like one being the ace, two being the king. I was like, oh, I'm winning this hand. Not only did I win, I won five to zero. So Joe Lacasio, Rambo, Ty Warner, 600 bucks each into the pot. Stop. Now, now we're playing an $1,800 hand and everybody folds because nobody is like wants to play. If I didn't go first, I would have absolutely played. Um, but it was like my turn to be the first one to decide. So Rambo and Jolo, once they heard like the last one is out, they're like, let's just play it and split it. So they made all their money back. Like they got to split 900 each. Um, even though Jolo would have won, he totally bailed them out. Uh, but I guess Ty had the worst boo, but he did claw back and ended up making up most of his money. Most nights it gets up to like 50 bucks the pot, nothing really crazy playing with quarters but for anyone looking for a great game to play with friends super competitive you don't have to gamble i know some people do it with water or alcoholic drinks where you got to take several sips when you lose the hand that could work equally as well but that's something like you know we joke about it i probably that's my long-winded explanation but our team like We'll have two games of this going. Guys will be playing Euchre, other games. We have a lot of card guys on our team, and that's something like where all of us can put our phones away and like actually just 
you know, do something we love, which is compete and like have fun doing it. And that's something that's brought our team together like immensely. Like we play almost every weekend, whether it be that or other games. It's underrated those kind of little things you can find to build that team camaraderie outside of just being in the locker room together. And I think the best teams end up um, kind of being able to facilitate those, you know, events or situations where you can just joke around with your buddy where it's not, you know, you don't think about practice. You're not thinking about, um, you know, coach and, and what he's expecting out of you. It's just messing around with the boys and, and that off field chemistry leads to the results, obviously, um, with you guys, um, within Boo Ray, who is the worst player? Is it, is I, I would, I was going to guess. Rambo. I mean, dude, Rambo's easily the yeah, worst player. We've, we've caught Rambo ripping. So we play with paper cause we don't bring chips. We've caught him ripping up chip, like paper into his pockets. Like essentially Rat. each little square is a quarter. He's ripping him up. So he gets two quarters and like denies it. So like me, Ty Warner, like we, we, and you know, even Drew and Connor Kelly, who used to be big when they were on our team in the plan, they would probably all say Rambo. Connor Kelly had some tough, tough runs in uh, 2019 with the team. I know you probably saw a couple of them. I'm trying to think who else. Stover's like sneaky good. And then there's guys like Burnmore who like refuse to play because they've seen, like they imagine the worst possible case scenario is going to come to them. But I think, the the consistently poor performers might it might just be Rambo really like because he doesn't focus he's joking around um, dude it gets, yeah Joe Lacasio gets burned <laughs> a lot too because he's like a little bit cocky dude it gets scary when the pot like gets starts to heat up and it, like I remember I was playing the first time with Drew Snyder back at uh, his buddy's house the one that played in the NBA and um, it yeah. was like dude once the pot goes over like a certain number like your nerves start to increase and like the anxiety of like fucking up. <laughs> it's not fun. And then anymore. like all of a sudden I would go blank on like a boo that was so obvious. And like, I couldn't remember if it was like something I needed to do. And then you're just fucked and it's, you're just out $200, $400 that you just don't have to throw down on this game. And you just got to figure it out. And that's where it can get, it can get really dicey. Um, but so here's my thing. Like if you don't think you have a good hand, you just fold. Right. You can't, the pressure's self applied. It's self inflicted. So I always think like you can create or alleviate pressure, but if you don't have good cards, don't play. Yeah, dude, definitely. I mean, yeah, I haven't played in a long time. I'd probably absolutely boo very quickly, um, but I definitely want to get back into playing <laughs> soon. Now, for you right now, after the championship series, obviously you guys won. Um, I know you picked up getting into real estate a little bit. You got your little vest on your shirt. I know you're doing some stuff. Can you talk a little bit about that new venture? Um, kind of what your thought process is as, you know, an athlete at, at this point in your career and, and how you want to, you know, kind of make a transition to, to something other than, you know, just being a full-time player, kind of setting yourself up for, for post-career. Yeah. I, I mean, I think as I enter into my sixth season, I, I realized that I'm not going to play the game forever, although I wish I could. And, I've had so much experience just on the the freelance side of business things, starting my own company and face-off factory and getting to do that nationally and touch so many lives. It's been truly an inspiration. It's been cool to work with so many different people and have unique opportunities. But I was looking, as we shifted to virtual coaching during coronavirus, I was looking for something more to do and spend my time on. Um, a roommate of mine, Cameron Bell, had a great idea that we should take the class together. We did. Um, and we ended up taking the test like at the end of August together. 
And it was just something that like, I've always been interested in homes, redoing stuff. Like my first job, an entrepreneurial venture in high school was called, <laughs> we did a, we had a painting service with two of my friends and we did that locally in our town. And it started from me repainting my grandparents camp and like getting to do some woodwork. And then my dad, you know, had built this office and I got to like help stand and install the shingles and pick out like tile and like I've always thought that stuff was super neat and like our house is a project in itself at all times like when we were home over break he had me and my brother install radiant heat in the ceilings like never would ever pay somebody to do anything has to do everything himself and like teach us how to do it so like that coupled with me like you know really enjoying like decorating my apartment and like doing cool stuff like installing things I've always had like a, an appreciation for it all and the opportunity, like having more time and not coaching every single day of the week presented itself. I thought it was an awesome thought. And then I got really lucky that I, I met somebody through a mutual friend, my, uh, my friend Dante, who's actually, I work underneath him. He works at, we work at Compass together and it's been so cool to kind of see how he does things and operates. And there's so much overlap to like, you know, the lacrosse space that it's it's neat to try to function and operate on a different level and like totally go outside your comfort zone and approach like a new realm of people and sphere of influence. So I've really enjoyed just the learning aspect of it. How have you been able to balance doing real estate face-off factory, which we could talk a little bit more about as well, um, and then kind of your workouts? Because I know you are someone that's really committed to your craft. We always see you grinding on Instagram. I know what you're doing. I've, I've been to Boston before and stay with you, so... How do you kind of, you know, look at those three uh, entities? The, I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest thing for me has been, I've been like, not forced, but like, I think the opportunity to lift in the morning at compete is something that has changed the way I approach and attack like each and every day. Like I, in the summer was a comfortable, like some, prior to going there, it'd be like a nine to 10 to 11, you know, sometimes it drifts into the afternoon type workout guy, but doing it first thing every morning has changed my mindset. And then like coaching every night, like I get to like, I can go early or stay late anytime I want, shoot, play wall ball, take face off reps against like, you know, top end college kids who I'm coaching and are like practicing all the time. So I constantly have a benchmark on both ends of my day for lacrosse and conditioning and strength. And then in the middle of it, I get to kind of bounce around between, you know, facilitator, manager work of face off factory. And then a lot of those skills that I've learned transition directly into like the marketing, the outreach, the contact of real estate. So I've really enjoyed the overlap of both and it's kept things really fresh for me. And I know like I talked to you about next steps in your career and we've talked about not just being like the stereotypical lax bro that's the last thing either of us you know want to be even though we work in the space and it was a really great opportunity for me not to just be somebody else who only does the cross yeah i mean as far as like the balance goes that you kind of think about i think um people don't realize that you, you have the opportunity to kind of cross over like you do right like the things that you are learning um and that we're learning playing even being teammates like it allows us to be so malleable and kind of be chameleons and transition to these different spots, which is something that like I'm always keeping my my antennas up for is like, how can I kind of continue to matriculate and grow as a, as a player, not only as a player, but as a person um, and in my career off the field. And, and definitely you're someone that I've been able to like watch and follow who has been able to graduate from Rutgers, go start face off factory 
Um, and then kind of now moving to this real estate position a little bit. It's kind of the same path I see going and going for me. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the face off factory and, and kind of what you're doing there um, and kind of what, you know, what's your overall mission and, um, you know, plan with that? Yeah, I think the overall mission is to just leave the position in the next generation in a way better spot than, you know, when I was in these kids shoes, whether it be like the life skills that we try to teach and like the little lessons I try to instill or just like you know, make them better players with better perspective on how to get recruited, how to train and how to compete with each other. So like our overall mission is to provide kids with the, the broadest instruction and to provide it to everybody that we can get our hands on and to, like get outreach to. Right. I've got guys in probably 10 different markets. And although not all of them coach on a weekly basis, we have about five or six coaches in different parts of the country who do, which is a pretty broad spectrum of kids coming through our program. And I'm super like, you know, humbled that I get to be the one to spearhead that approach and like our, you know, technique side of the training and like what our actual methodology is behind what we do. Like, I feel lucky that a lot of these guys entrust me with what what the right way to do things is, not only as like a lacrosse player, but a lacrosse professional, um, you know, like a professional coach. So that's really our mission is to just teach kids <laughs> all over the country what what we can about life and lacrosse and face-offs to help put them in a position where they can use lacrosse to best position the next phase of their life. You mentioned technique. I think that for you as a player, you know, you're really someone that's kind of in his own realm uh, as far as the, the position. Are there things specifically, you know, that you talk about when you're coaching um, and you think about when you're preparing um, as far as technique that are kind of differentiators for you um, when you think about the rest of the, the scope of players out there in professional lacrosse? No, I think, you know, everybody at this level has made it to this level because their technique, whether it be unique or similar to others, they do it at an extremely high level. So, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, what I do is the right way to do it, right? I think I've kind of grasped from all the people I train with several right ways to do things. And I have a good perspective on knowing that when I'm wrong, I have to change, right? I have to adapt. I have to continue to learn and be better, right? So I think my whole perspective on face-offs and the main thing I try to teach the, these kids is to be versatile, be dynamic, and know every single little thing about what you're doing. And if you can get to the point where every single face-off, you take that mental snapshot when you blink your eyes and you can tell yourself what exactly just happened in that half a second time frame you get to read that situation, you just might be able to make a change and beat them on the next one. And I think because I've you know, coached four years at the Division One level at Harvard, because I've played five years professional, played box, right? Coach face-off factory for five years. I've seen so many freaking face-offs that I have that ability to know what's right and wrong and know how to make adjustments. And I think that's the only way I've been able to stick around and continue to ha have myself in the conversation as one of the, one of the best in our position. I won't go as far as like saying, you know, I'm undoubtedly the best that's ever played or best right now. Right. Like the best is always changing. Greatness is least not owned. That's why we got to go out and earn it every day. And you and I do what we do. We go to the grind, but long story short, I think <clears throat> being able to, to understand, digest, and process and take information, not frustration from every face-off is what's helped me stay ahead of the game and helped me be a really good coach and a really good mentor to my other coaches. And of all the players that you've played against now um, and that you're playing against in 2020, who, who do you think you have to take the time to make the most adjustments for or get prepared to really compete against the most? 
You know, everybody's good, man. You got I I try to treat every single matchup the same. Obviously, that's not the case because you win matchups, you lose matchups. There's outside influence, like you know, like not every matchup, not every preparation is going to be the same. I think the the toughest guys, obviously, like you look at a guy like Trevor, like him and I are lucky enough we get to face off five times a year between indoor and the PLL, right? Playing in the same division in indoor and in the PLL, so I'd say like. He's certainly at the top of the list. You know, Connor Farrell's a guy that, like, I've taken practice reps with, and, like, we freaking go at it. And, like, he always is a guy who gives me, you know, a problem, and I hope that he would say the same about me. Like, he's somebody who's really good as well, and, like, he'll always, if he continues to train the way he does, he'll always be in contention also. Like, he's someone who's kind of came out of the woodwork and really proven himself. I'd say those two guys are, are pretty up there. Jake Withers I have a huge respect for because of how good he is at box. Um, we got to play against each other. We scrimmaged each other. I got to watch him in the PLL, practice with him a little bit um, here and there over the years. Like, great guy. Love to love chatting with him and understanding his perspective. But, like, he's another one so versatile, really hard to game plan for if I were to have to play him this year. Um, and, like, you know, those, there's no re- like secret why those guys were, you know, two, three, and four in the standings this year. And I think faceoffs are weird. It could go either way, like any year. You know, a couple of percentage points separated the rest of the pack behind Trevor in year one, and I would expect next year to be super tight again. And Jake always reminded me a lot of you in terms of like toughness, ability to handle the ball, um, and and just kind of that that sturdy consistency. Where even if he doesn't get the ball, like he's just going to be there, bothering you and around you. Um, and I feel like that style for you, like your ability to kind of just you're just never not in in the play. It's kind of crazy. But then you're able to also, you know, go down on the offensive side. And the one play you had this year, which reminded me of we had a play at Rutgers where you came down. Um, I think you swam a guy and then you you hit it top top corner. It was like this play where you came down um, in the championship series. You got knocked down like two or three times and then get up and friggin' smack low to high. Um, what is it about you as a player um, or kind of your development that positioned you to be so effective um, more than just the face-off X in itself. Uh, I think part of it is to do with like good coaching growing up. Like John Canizero was our coach growing up. He taught us like how to play the cross, how to be two-handed player, the proper fundamentals. Like early age, I had great coaching. Definitely helped. Playing in high school club, like played with other great players, definitely helped. At Rutgers, and you know this, like Coach Brecht would put me on scout team offense, like and run me like a D midi against like the first line middies. You know, my freshman year, the first game I played in was at Duke as the third defensive midi at Rutgers. I didn't take any faceoffs. Like some of that stuff you look back on and it's crazy, but not many other faceoff guys like had that trajectory of that course of like practice. And, you know, like scout team, for example, like, you know, how much time do we spend on scout? Two, three days a week minimum um, where you're doing at least 30 minutes, like I'm getting that much time to play offense in college against the starting defense or the second defense when a lot of other guys weren't like that adds up to like, you know, a few thousand hours over the course of four years or a few thousand reps that matters. Those game situations matter. And I think that's what's allowed me to progress and like continue to evolve, to be able to make those decisions and plays like on a professional field with the best players. I'll never forget coach Brecht, our fall freshman year. I think it was. And he, he goes, Joe Nardella is our best <laughs> offensive player on the depth chart. And I was like, all right. I guess that's, that's what it is. Um, 
<laughs> memory made that depth chart where he just put the starting line up. <laughs> That's it. He's like, everybody else needs to work harder. Uh, and if you're on there, you still need to work harder. Um, all right, well. All the omitties are pissed. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on here, and I, I appreciate you kind of being the leader that you have been for me. Um, you know, always always just setting the standard and continuing to both as a player um, and an entrepreneur and, and everything that you've been doing. Jules, I appreciate you having me on here, but I think I would be remiss if I didn't get to ask you a couple questions before we wrap Fire up. Fire it up. What do you got for me? I think that people want to get to know you. You know, part of the reason I love you so much is because I know you. I know, like, what you're all about, and I think – you know, what do you see from Jules Hennenberg in the next couple of years off the field? I'm hitting you with a hard one. Off the field? I think, um, you know, I want to continue to grow as a leader, um, you know, in a lot of the different avenues that I'm in. I think, you know, I, I took a more of a leadership role in, in kind of the activism stuff, which I want to continue to grow, um, you know, with the Black Lacrosse Alliance. I think with me in business, I started Mission Prime this past year. Um, in a pandemic, which is, you know, both a, a blessing um, and a curse in a lot of ways, just because of, you know, financially and, and kind of what you see with, you know, different people being able to, you know, commit to things um, and people just, you know, understanding that if there's opportunity to to grow, um, regardless if it's online or if it's in person. So kind of getting that narrative to switch a little bit, it's been hard, but I've learned so much trying to grow a business um, in, the, in the pandemic. And I think that coming out of this on the other side is going to be awesome. Um, and, and I'm really going to see those things come to fruition. And then, you know, I think um, kind of down the line, I'll see myself get involved with some more, you know, things like real estate um, that, that I'm interested in and different stuff like that as I gain more capital as the year, as the years go on. So those are kind of the three things that I'm most excited for um, professionally uh, as I continue to develop. Um, last question. Go ahead. Toughest one of the day. Who's your celebrity crush? Um, celebrity crush is definitely Halsey. I am obsessed with Halsey. Wow! And was, See, that's many, something that surprises. There's not many people that like. I feel like in my head, I'm like, all right, well, you know, meeting them would be cool. This or that, like, it's not really that big, to me, big a deal to me. Or I'd want to like see them live, like, and that's like the, the best thing that would ever happen to me. If I if I met Halsey and I saw her live, like, I'd be genuinely really excited. Wow! What do you think of her? I I totally support that decision. That's not who I would go with, though. No, who are you thinking? I don't know. I have several. Like when I was a kid, I'd say there's a couple. Like I liked Emma Watson and Harry Potter, and the girl who played Cindy Lou Who in The Grinch when I was like a kid, kid. And then as I was like a teenage teenager, I liked Miley Cyrus and Taylor Swift a lot. It's definitely it changes and over the years. Right like, now, oh yeah, your interests that. change. Yeah, my original one was Kelly Rowland um, from Destiny's Child when I was younger. I had like a huge crush on her, and then I think in um, in high school, I think it was like Megan Fox um, when Transformers was kind of coming out. And then as I got older and yeah. got into college, definitely um, Halsey, and she's from New Jersey also, so it's kind of easy for me. To, Nothing uh, wrong with Jersey play. girls. Nothing you know about Jersey girls going to Rutgers. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> All right, bro. Well, good catching up. I don't know if this one will make it on. This little last segment will make it on. There, but I'm glad we got to chop it up. I had a great time. Um, hopefully, I'll be back as your first recurring guest, maybe in the future. Yeah, definitely got to get some more of the Whip Stinks guys on. Um, All right, buddy. I'll uh, I'll right. holler at you. Sounds great. Later.
that is it for this week's episode of Unbuckled. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you subscribe and rate the podcast. Head over to Instagram and follow Nards at jnards with two S's, Twitter as well. Next week, we have on one of the fiercest LSMs in the pro game right now. That's Scott Ratliff. I'll see you guys there. Mm.